Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Fuller, and my guest today is Lynn Jackson. And Lynn Jackson was a longtime friend of Regent Adams. And Lynn and I are going to talk about Regent, a tribute to uh, Regent, and hopefully uh, other people will call up because I posted it on Facebook. So, Lynn, I- I'm sorry that I was the one that broke the news to you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. I certainly miss Regin very much. She was simply a powerhouse and uh, very important in my life. There were times when we spoke every day, and I do miss her terribly. But I hope that we can use this time to talk about what a role model she is, how much she did for Albany, how much she did for people, how kind and compassionate she was then uh, maybe her legacy will live on because I think that, you know, we all could be a little bit more like Regin Adams. She was just uh, an amazing and powerful woman. I totally agree. You know, um, I often wondered what it was like for Fran and, and David growing up for them to share their mother the way I did. Did you ever have any conversations with Fran and, and Dave about, you know, sharing Russian with the community? Well, I do know that um, uh, David once spoke about going to a protest with his mother, a protest of the Vietnam War. And, um, you know, of course, they, uh, you know, Russian would be in the newspaper. It was highly unusual in the time, so the, with the protest, Regent Adams began protesting the Vietnam War uh, at the very beginning of the war, um, unlike uh, the protests of the Iraq War, which started before the war. The, Viet- the protests against Vietnam didn't start until the war actually started for the United States. And she talked about going to her first protest and not even knowing where Vietnam was and that there was a, a professor or a scholar there who had brought a map and explained where Vietnam was and what was going on and everything. So her uh, protest of the Vietnam War started very much in the beginning. Um, children, um, unfortunately, I don't really know her children as well as I would like because they were uh, grown up by the time I met Regin. So I met Regin 42 years ago more, little more than 42 years ago now. And um, I'm the same age as her daughter. And then her son is five years younger. So, uh, but Regin was arrested during the Vietnam War for protesting. It was highly unusual for a woman to be arrested. And she went to jail. And I remember um, many years later seeing full page uh, stories about Regin in the Times Union newspaper about her arrest and about the protests. And so by her getting arrested and making uh, and being so prominent, they, and they, the newspaper wrote about how this mother, this mother of two, was arrested um, and went to jail for protests in the Vietnam War. She brought a lot of attention, of course, 
to the very immoral and uh, war in Vietnam, which the United States never should have been involved in. So by her actions like that, you know, she brought a lot of attention to this really, really important issue. Uh, when I posted it on Facebook, there were many, many people who commented, and I just want to read a few comments. And then after I read the comments, I would really love for you to to um, talk about your notice that you sent out to save the Pine Bush people. Um, oh, yes. I would be happy to, to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Shauna Collins, who is a uh, member, who's an attorney at uh, um, the bid on Wall Street said she was an amazing woman. I am fortunate to say I knew her and had the opportunity to have conversations with her. She is a woman I will tell my daughters about. Sending consolers I'm sorry uh, to her family while I was pregnant while I was pregnant Whenever we had the opportunity to chat, she was so loving and offered wonderful advice on raising daughters. She will be greatly missed. Um, And then there was Ned DePew, who worked at the co-op, listened to her on WRPI for years as she read from progressive journals and commented, she worked in many ways to keep the progressive spirit alive. And Michael Burgess said she was a legend who literally walked the walk every day. And Maria Eisenberg Lampier said she was a local prisoner whose good works Span the globe. May she rest in peace. Sincere condolences to her loved ones. You know, people think of her, you know, in Albany, but she really, she really did a lot on both domestic and and worldwide issues. Right, Lynn? Oh, absolutely. Um, Russian was a member of the U.S. China's People Friendship Association, and. That was a pretty radical thing to do in the 70s. I assume the association started in the 70s or so um, because, of course, when I was a child in school, I was taught that, you know, China was Taiwan and that was it and that this huge, magnificent country of China didn't exist. I mean, we knew it existed, but we had no uh, diplomatic relations with it. And Russian... um, actually went to China uh, quite a number of times. And um, she uh, worked with the U.S. People's China Friendship Association, and they did things. uh, People from China would come here, and Rajin and her late husband, Ted, would have uh, conversational English. And this was very important to Rajin that the students or the professors or the people who came from China and who's, you know, uh, to help them with their English, they would come over to Regin's house and then have just informal conversations to help people with, you know, conversational English. I mean, it was just a wonderful thing for her to do. 
Um, so she did a lot of work with U.S. People's Friendship Association, and she actually was in China when 9-11 happened. And I remember uh, very well at that time, because, of course, 9-11 was pretty traumatic, and Rejin was supposed to return to the United States on that day. She was supposed to fly out of, I think she was in Beijing, and she said she turned on the TV. Now, Rejin um, doesn't, did not speak Chinese, and she said she turned on the TV, and on every channel was this horror movie with planes flying into the, the World Trade Center. And so when she went down for breakfast, there was another group of Americans there who um, said to her, well, Mrs. Adams, I don't think you're going back to the United States today because this, uh, you know, this attack happened. And so she stayed in China uh, for at least four days after that. Now, of course, the big problem was how to communicate. Um, now, that was, you know, 2001, obviously quite a while ago. And Rejin remembered my email address. So her interpreter, so Rejin's interpreter was this wonderful young Chinese woman, um, emailed me to tell me that Rejin was okay and to give a message to Rejin's husband, Ted. And it was very interesting um, to correspond with this young woman in China who actually herself had an interest in the environment. And, and actually, we corresponded for at least a year after that event, the young woman in China and myself. So Rejin was able to come back to the United States um, many days later, but her um, trip to China that time was extended. And I, I'm pretty sure she went to China at least once or twice after that. Uh, and they worked on, she worked on, you know, improving uh, relations with people in China and people in the United States. Also, the U.S. People's China Friendship Association had a, a China Bazaar every year at the Friends Meeting House, and um, my husband and I always look forward to that event because uh, they sold, you know, uh, things made in China, and um, people uh, would make wonderful dumplings and other uh, traditional Chinese foods that were wonderful to eat. And it was always nice to see Rejin at those. That was another event that Rejin, of course, always volunteered for. So, yes, and, of course, in locally, she was very, very well known. Um, Rejin was very involved in the local politics and, of course, with Save the Pine Bush, which she had a, a huge a huge role in it just a um, she was just a backbone of Save the Pine Bush, and I miss her terribly because um, Save the Pine Bush is again involved in a fight to, against the uh, expansion of Crossgates. And oh my goodness, I wish I could talk to her about um, the uh, this proposed development and and what actions we will take. Um, so you go back to the seventies. When did Save the Pine Bush start, and was she was she there from the very very beginning? Um, yes, uh, the answer to that is yes. So Save the Pine Bush, I the, the birth date of Save the Pine Bush is February sixth, nineteen seventy eight, and on that day, um, the Albany City Planning Board was going uh, was having a public hearing on four proposed developments in the pine bush. However, on that day, it snowed more than I had ever seen snow in Albany. 
it so it snowed so much at three o'clock in the afternoon the governor sent New York State workers home from work, which was unheard of. There was six inches of snow on Washington Avenue. Um, the entire city was shut down, except the planning board still held their hearings. Now, at that time, I did not know Regent Adams. I am sure I heard her name because people spoke about Regent Adams with a great deal of reverence and awe. Um, but I found out about the public hearing, and I attended the public hearing, and I know that Regent Adams attended the public hearing, though I did not meet her that night. Um, after that public hearing, the, uh, uh, what happened is that the Albany City Planner, the late Dick Patrick, was the, the chair of the meeting. He let the developer speak for 90 minutes, and then he let the opposition speak for 90 minutes. And then at that point, he says, well, the weather's getting kind of bad out, which was clearly the understatement of the year. And he adjourned the meeting. And the meeting was adjourned to a private boardroom a couple of days later. So I met Regin. Um, so what happened after that is that a lot of people who attended that meeting were so angry, so angry that um, – the city held the public hearing in the middle of a snowstorm that we started meeting to see what we could do about it. And I met Regin because I was in a car with a couple people and we were driving near the Unitarian church in downtown Albany. And somebody in the car says, Oh, that's Regin Adams. So we stopped the car and we picked her up. And that is when I met her. Um, I think it's important to note that Regin, neither Regin nor her husband, ever had a car while they lived in the city of Albany, uh, which is very interesting. So this was, of course, not an uncommon action, I think, that people would see Regin walking home or walking to um, a meeting or something and then pick her up and give her a ride. Um, so that's how I met her. And... From those early days, we uh, organized, of course, her mimeograph machine in the basement was essential. Uh, she began to do a newsletter at some point uh, for Save the Pine Bush. And within a year, we started our famous vegetarian lasagna dinners. Regin, of course, doing almost all of the cooking. Um, in the early years, I used to make all the pies, and Regin made all the lasagna the garlic bread, the salad, the coffee, um, and all those kinds of things. Uh, but that's pretty much – so she's, she was with Save the Pie Bush from the beginning. We actually had an official meeting at some point that spring, and I got elected the president of Save the Pie Bush, which I – within a year, Regent became the president, which was a much better idea. And um, since that time, we worked together on Pine Bush issues all these – for all these decades later. So yes, Regin was there from the, the very, very beginning. And we had a lot of interesting adventures um, together with Save the Pine Bush. We spoke a lot. She uh, called me a lot. We did a lot of, uh, we did fundraisers. Um, she would, uh, this was before the Freedom of Information Act law was really implemented. And so um, our early Pine Bush attorney, Lou Oliver, would talk to Regin about the documents he needed, you know, if we were going to file a lawsuit. 
And I remember one story she told me that what she would do is she would go to City Hall and visit the city planner, the late Dick Patrick, and she would show up and maybe she would ask for a document or something. And Dick Patrick would take a novel out of his desk drawer and leave for lunch, leaving Regin with an open file cabinet. And Regin was able to take copies of papers uh, from his file cabinet and bring them to our lawyer. And they became part of our lawsuits. Um, so those were some of her early adventures. Uh, now you, now yes. you had mentioned you had mentioned the mimeograph machine, and the mimeograph machine is legend when you talk yes. about Redden and and uh, all her activities. And a gentleman by the name of Lawrence Van Usen uh, wrote a, a little tribute to her on Facebook. She kept a mimeograph machine in her basement and would bring the prize center of the Capital Region newsletter, uh, and they would type masses uh, for her to print out for us every month in the 1970s. She was so kind. So the uh, mimeograph machine was utilized for, like, many, many different organizations, right? Yeah, Regin Adams basically printed every progressive organization's newsletters. And I think we need to look at a little history. You know, this is, you know, before the advent of high-speed copiers and high-speed, high-quality copiers. You know, it was hard to get things published. Like, how do you get things published? Now, a lot of people, you know, our age and older remember ditto machines. But ditto machines were really for schools where you only wanted like 50 copies or 70 copies of something. A mimeograph machine could print hundreds or even thousands of copies using the same stencil. But creating these, the use of, this was a really involved process. So what, and I'm going to explain it a little bit because, you know, I'm kind of a technical nerd here. But the thing is that you have a stencil. So what a stencil is, is like a, a fine piece of um, paper that when you typed on it, it would make impressions of the letters um, on the stencil. And then you would, uh, you would wrap the stencil around the drum of the mimeograph machine, and then you would run off however many copies. So the thing is that you might have, um, like in the early years, Save the Pine Bush, we had a four-page double-sided. So it was four sheets of paper, double-sided, so eight pages. Uh, maybe it was six pages, sorry. Three, at any rate, it was a lot of pages of legal-sized paper. So basically, Regin would have to run off. At that time, we had a mailing list of around 1,500. So she would run off 1,500 times the paper through for the six pages. And then we'd have to fold it. Now, the reason it was so big, because right now, say the Pine Bushes newsletter is a lot smaller, though it actually contains probably as much text, is because you couldn't have really small type on your stencil because the stencil wasn't, didn't have the resolution. It didn't have the high quality to make, to have a very tiny type on your, your stencil. So basically, now, as when, say, the, uh, so in the beginning, 
somebody would have to sit there with a typewriter and type on the stencil. It is possible to draw on stencils, but you needed a special light box to put your stencil on so that you could see what you're doing. We didn't, we never did any, any of that. In the early years, Reggie did all the typing on the stencils. Now, as the technology progressed, what you could do is create your original page. Let's say you wanted to do a flyer, so you'd have an original flyer, and you'd uh, have that you either hand like handwritten or typed out on a sheet of paper, and then you would have that you take that piece of paper to a special shop who would from that piece of paper make the stencil that Regent could use. So this wasn't like photocopying. This was a really involved. Uh, printing process and Regin's mimeograph machine was wonderful so what you she lived in a um, a a brick house in uh, Center Square in Albany and the house was uh, four and a half stories three and a half three and a half stories high and you would the basement was um, you could walk in the basement go down you go down like three or four steps and then you'd walk into her basement so that hallway that went from the the front basement door all the way to the back of the house was a narrow hallway. And on the left-hand side, she had a a, a a countertop with a mimeograph machine. And on the right-hand side, she had stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of paper. And that mimeograph machine ran all the time. There were different kinds of mimeograph machines, like there were ones that you used that you actually hand-cranked. And then there were ones that were mechanical. And when I'm thinking about this right now, I think hers was a hand crank. So she had, yes, my husband is nodding yes. So uh, that is correct. Regin's mimeograph, she was hand cranked. So she had to hand crank all of that paper through the, the mimeograph machine. And she was quite, you know, of course, then you have to ink it. This is a really complicated process. And that she did the newsletters for everybody. She did newsletters for all the groups. I remember there was a group called the Mohawk Hudson Wheelmen. They've since changed their name. But she did the newsletter for them. She did um, flyers for people. Because you know, we didn't have the Internet in the 70s. There was no Internet. There was no email. Uh, we had the telephone and we had print. And we had, you know, we could post flyers on the streets. And for a lot of our early Save the Pine Bush dinners, we would just, Reggie would maybe graph a flyer, you know, come to our dinner, and we would go down Lark Street in Albany and post them on on the light poles. Uh, you know, this was a very common method of communication of, um, you know, before the Internet. You know, how do you talk to people? Well, you put out flyers, you put out announcements. And, of course, the mailing list, and the mailing list was uh, extremely important, too. But all of this was done by hand, and she did it. I mean, I, I think about it now, and I'm like, my goodness, how did she have so much time to be able to, to do all this? Because that isn't all she did. You know, we haven't gotten into the uh, daycare center or how she watched the children of activists or, um, you know, her going to meetings and her – all the – the amazing amount of work she did. And and she always did it, you know, she just did it. You know, there was no uh, reluctance. She just did what needed to be done, and and it was wonderful. I do want to mention one thing about 
when I was, I mean, I was pretty young when I was met, met her. I was like, I don't know, 23, 24 years old. And I remember the, one of the first times being in her kitchen, which was right off of the hallway. And basically, I think I was working on a political campaign. And her phone would ring, and she would answer the phone. Now, she never said hello or how are you or anything. It was just, it was just you know, somebody, you know, she'd pick up the phone, she'd say hello. The person would say whatever they wanted to say, and Reg would say, okay, or you have to do this, or this has to be done, or whatever. And then she'd hang up the phone, and the phone would ring again, and she'd pick it up. And she had these very short conversations with people, um, and she would – talk to people and then hang up the phone and it was I was in awe of the fact that anyone could keep all of this straight uh, phone answering and uh, all the people coming and going and it was it was really um, she was really quite something it was quite, it's, it's very nice to talk about her because you know she was just a huge part of my life just you know just such an important part of my life so um, but you know but you know Lynn I've been to the Save the Fine Bush Dinners, and I know how important they are to you. Uh, Exploration was an important part of many people's lives. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she was just, um, she did so many things for so many people, and uh, she was was such a leader in terms of um, doing things. You know, she worked, uh, she had a, she printed the peace newsletter, she, uh, which would list all the peace activities for the month. She uh, went, uh, worked at the peace breakfast at the church across the street from her house. They would uh, have a peace breakfast. She worked on breakfast for homeless people. You know, if people needed money for something, she gave people money. She would loan people money. And she would take care of people that nobody else cared about and she was uh, just very kind quite amazing and I often wonder what it would have been like to be raised in her her daycare center where she took in the uh, children of just of you know of um, activists and um, babysat them during the day while their mothers and fathers were working and she actually there are photos of her in the paper once she put two of the little girls in a in a shopping cart, like a you know the home shopping carts, not the ones in the store, and she had the two little girls in the shopping cart, and they're staying up holding the the edge of the shopping cart. Oh, they look so cute! And someone took a picture of her. That was in the newspaper, and uh, she did a lot of work with these the kids, and uh, the kids have grown up. I know one of the kids that that went to her daycare center and now he's all grown up. You know, he's almost 30. And it was so interesting, um, uh, those kinds of things that that she did. And then she did all that. So she watches children all day, right? And then she had all these um, other activities, you know, the uh, printing the, the newsletters and everything. It was just so much, so much activity. She was just really quite amazing. Quite amazing. So, so uh, we're at the end of uh, the first part of our tribute to Regent Adams. Um, we're going to do part two tomorrow. So, um, Lynn, thank you. We'll be we'll be talking about Regent again soon. So, 
Thanks, Len. Thank you, everybody, Thank you. for listening. Uh, if you have a, uh, if you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Have a great day. Len, we're ready for yes. part two. Okay. All right, sounds good. So, so um, thank you, everybody, for being listening to part two of our tribute to Roger Adams. And one of the uh, people I neglected to mention on uh, on yesterday's show was Leon Van Dyke. Now, Leon Van Dyke was the uh, uh, more or less the leader of the brothers who were um, uh, activists in the 60s. And Leon wrote, she was an exceptional woman, an exceptional person, one of the true heroes uh, who made this country and the world a better place. Rest in peace, my dear friend and sister in the struggle. So I had uh, gone over and I had spoken to Leon Leon has just kind words about Russian. Now, did you ever meet Leon? Um, you know, I, I'm i not sure I've ever met Leon Van Dyke. I have certainly heard of him, and I know of his work. Um, but uh, And he's quite well known in Albany. I don't know as much about the brothers as I wish I could because they sound like an amazing, just an amazing group. And um, obviously, Russian uh, worked with them also uh, because of Leon's very kind words. But um, I don't. I know that uh, Leon has uh, not always has recently not been in the Albany area, but he may have come mm-hmm. back to visit for a while. So um, no, he lives here now. He lives in I'm, I'm sorry. Now. Oh, he's moved oh. back. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I often wonder, you know, people people have busy lives, but yet ration time to do so much for not only the community, but for the state and for the world. And she was one of a kind, wouldn't you agree? Oh, Russian was totally one of a kind. I mean, one of the things that I think we should talk about um, a little bit is her uh, political activism, her activism yeah. in politics. And uh-huh. she she really knew how to how to work in politics. I mean, I was pretty impressed with that. When I first came to Albany, I didn't know that Albany had a very old political machine uh, run by Dan O'Connell and then later Erastus Corning. Uh, Albany at the time when, when I met Regin and when I came to Albany, the mayor was Mayor Erastus Corning III. Uh, that was in 1978. He had been mayor since, I believe, 1942. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, Corning was mayor of the city of Albany for 42 years, 42 years. And mm-hmm. he had quite a political machine, and either you were with the political machine or you weren't with the political machine. And Regin was one of the first, was the first dissident committee person elected um, in the late 1960s. And it was quite something to have uh, someone who had 
progressive politics elected as a dissident committee woman. Now, uh, shortly after the, like the late seventies, um, I got talked into running for committee woman and I, I held the post for a couple of years and Rezhin and I drove out to the Polish community center where the democratic committee held its annual meeting. And, uh, you know, they would, uh, at the meeting, the uh, candidates would be selected or nominated uh, to run, you know, uh, to run the Democrats. And, of course, once you were – there were no Republicans in Albany. Republicans are uh, an afterthought. There are no Republicans in the city of Albany. Anyway, so I remember driving out in my little 1969 Volkswagen Bug, and Reggie and I drive out to the uh, Polish Community Center, and – we were the only two dissident committee people in, in a sea of, I don't know how many committee people were 500, a thousand, something. There was a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Reggie and I are sitting there almost in the front row. Now these meetings were very short. They were very, very, very short. And, uh, Arastus Corning read off the slate and he said, everyone say, I, cause we were voting on the slate of candidates and, the whole room erupts in eyes, and then he says, any nays? And Reggie and I shouted out nay and raised our fists, didn't do anything. So there was two voices in opposition to what Mayor Gordy had to say. But Reggie worked um, extensively on, um, first it was uh, David Sawyer's campaign, who was elected to the Albany City Council, and then later worked on Nancy Burton's campaign and uh, getting Nancy Burton elected was uh, quite significant. Nancy Burton only won by four votes. And her uh, being elected as um, to the Albany City Council was a really important political move. And over the years, Reshin always supported the most progressive candidates, um, and worked on and worked on political campaigns year after year after year. It's a lot of work to do that. But she was a committee woman, and she went door to door, and she collected signatures, and she got the vote out. And because she knew that, you know, how can we have change if everyone doesn't vote and everyone doesn't, you know, everyone needs to vote. Everyone needs to vote, and we need to elect really good progressive candidates. And that's mm-hmm. what Regin would work on, and she worked on it all the time. I think part of what I learned from Regin is that, when I first came to Albany, I didn't, I didn't know who to vote for. I mean, I was a kid. I, what did I know, right? And I realized that I would just ask Gretchen, well, who should I vote for? What are the good candidates? Because she knew. She knew who the candidates were. And she knew what the platforms were. And she knew what the issues were. And so because I, our politics, our feelings about the world, or however you want to put it, but our 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 philosophies were so similar. I knew that if Regin had picked these people to vote for, those are the people I should vote for. And I've often thought about that because that's an example for us that um, to be able, if, you know, people shouldn't just say, oh, I, I don't know who to vote for, that people should seek out somebody that they agree with in terms of, you know, worldview and philosophy and say, who knows about the candidates and say, well, who should I vote for? Because then you learn, you know, you learn who to vote for. And Reggie taught me, you know, she really kind of taught me how to vote in terms of 
learning about it because you don't know everything when you start out when you're really young. You don't always know all the issues and things like that. So it's really important to mentor people into who they should vote for and who are the good candidates and why, why should you vote for these people. But that's what Regin did, and that's what Regin did for me is to really learn about how important the vote is and the voting process. I mean, right now in our country, I mean, not to have a little PSA here, but we have a huge problem with people thinking that voting doesn't matter. But voting does matter. Voting matters a lot. I mean, Regin showed me this when Nancy Burton won by four votes. Four votes. That's not a lot of people. And people can make a huge difference. And that's why, you know, Regent's example of being involved in, you know, democracy and in voting and in getting really involved in being a committee woman and in um, advancing good candidates is really important because, you know, we're, this is a complicated world. We, we are very dependent on each other. And government is is an agreement between us on how we're, we're going to do things. So to me, the, the, the voting process was, was um, really an important part of uh, who Regin was and how she, um, you know, worked on candidates and uh, worked on elections and how important it all is to participate in, in democracy because it, you can make change. I mean, you can make change. You know, the right people and the, who have the, the right moral compass and rely on science to make decisions, those are the kind of people we want in the office. We want people make, who are empathetic and who uh, care about people. So that's what Regin uh, really uh, exemplified is how important it is to be involved in uh, in the government. This is really very, very important. Now, Regin was also a radio personality. She did a radio at WRPI in Troy, right? Oh, absolutely. So, I want to say something before we start talking about uh, Regin's radio days. You had mentioned just the you know, just a while back, uh, Regin and her husband Ted never drove. So Regin used to draw, uh, used to take the bus from Albany to Troy. So she would get off, you know, and then she would walk up that hill, you know, to get to WRPI. And I had asked my friend Russell. You know how long how how long did she do it? And Russell said she was well into her eighties before she stopped doing the radio program. And I'm thinking, a woman in her eighties walking up that hill—that's remarkable, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, Regin um, didn't own a car. Never owned a neither Regin or Ted ever owned a car in Albany. Um, they, uh, so Regin would take the bus to WRPI. We knew this because, you know, she had a radio show and she also engineered for the radio station. So, uh, the rules were, if you're going to have a show, you also had to engineer for other shows. And so she often engineered for hockey games and stuff like this, but yeah, she would, um, take the early morning bus from Albany to Troy 
which took an hour. I mean, the bus must have taken an hour. And then um, if, because it was so early in the morning, the bus that ran up the hill to, to RPI wasn't running yet. And so she often walked up that hill, you know, and that hill in the wintertime could be, you know, covered with ice because nobody ever shovels their sidewalks, right? And that was a that was a concern of mine. But, yeah, she did that well into her 80s. I think she had the show for maybe 20 years. I could be wrong about that because I don't remember exactly when it started or stopped. And in our Save the Pine Bush newsletter, we used to uh, advertise her show and call it Radio Region. And what I find interesting is she never mentioned her name on the air. She never identified who she was. But she had such a distinctive voice. Region had, had, and I, I miss her voice. I still have um, messages in my phone from her. So, But her voice was so distinctive. She would just be out in the community, like in the grocery store, and people who'd heard her radio show, if Regin said a couple words, they would recognize her because her voice was so distinctive. And um, I think that was really interesting. And she read really interesting articles. She was always looking for interesting articles to read, and it was a really good show. And I was sad when, you know, she stopped doing it. But um, yeah, and I think that the issue of not owning a car is is important. It's it's so interesting to think about it now. Now, uh, her children also don't drive much, and I think it's really interesting that you know they they grew up in a car free household with no problem. Regin had a I think Regin was maybe in her 70s when this happened. So she had a friend who was in one of the the nursing homes for a while. And this was way out in Gildeland, which is a suburb of Albany. And she would take the Western Avenue bus, which only went so far to Gildeland. And then she would get off the bus and walk in the wintertime because her friend was in the hospital in the wintertime. There were no sidewalks and she would walk down this four-lane highway, and I think it had to be at least a mile, maybe two miles from the bus to go visit her friend, and I thought that was amazing. I was so worried she'd get hit by a car. Uh, it was. It just seemed so dangerous to me. Even now, uh, the town of Gilliland has, since, uh, since that time, has put uh, quite a number of sidewalks out there, but still not enough to get you safely from that bus stop to... Um, to the uh, the nursing home. Uh, say that it's so interesting now. Regin also, until she was probably in her seventies, uh, the post office. It used to be back in the day with the post office. Our Save the Pine Bush mailings would go to the post office in downtown Albany, so that wasn't such a big deal. She could put the bags of mail in her little shopping cart and roll down the hill and deliver it. But the post office moved out to Colony, and that's quite a ways out. And for years, mm-hmm. she would take she would take the Save the Pine Bush newsletter out there uh, with her shopping cart on the bus and cross that. I don't know how many lanes it is there. Six lane. Well, it's a four lane highway with turning lanes. So it's really big, you know, highway to cross. Very dangerous, and then bring the mail out there. Eventually, we had people drive her out because it got to be kind of ridiculous to have her hauling that stuff on the bus. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, she showed us that you can live a perfectly happy life without having an automobile. And I think that is an important, uh, example that, that Regin set. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about save the pine bush if we have time. Um, yeah, some of the, some of the other stories, um, there's a couple of stories I want to tell. Uh, but Lynn, let me ask you this question. Do you think, uh, Gresham and Ted did not drive the car for environmental issues, or do you think that they just were not interested? Oh, I don't. Um, since this goes way back, I don't think it was environmental issues. Now, the story. This is the story I heard. I I don't that that was told to me. So, Ted grew up in uh, Watsonville, Pennsylvania. His father was the first person in town to own a car. His father was a doctor, was a physician, and drove places. And at some point in Ted's life, he was, you know, learning to drive a car or whatever, and he got in the car, and he drove it into the side of a barn, and he got out of the car, and he says, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) That was the end of Ted's driving career. Wow. I don't know if that's true, but that's the story I heard. So uh-huh. Russian grew up in, uh, I, don't know, I want to say the Bronx, I hope that's right, or New York, I mean, Manhattan, New York City. She grew up in New York City, and of course, you didn't have car, you didn't need a car in New York City. So I wonder if it isn't a combination of that. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, when I was with um, Regin a little while ago, asking her about cars, she they did live somewhere out, you know, west of here. And they did have a car, and she did drive for a while, which I was surprised oh, at. Did. But in oh, but in Albany, she only drove. She never she never drove a car in Albany. Never had a driver's license. Never drove a car. Wow. Huh. So very interesting. When RPI had uh, came out with more regulations about getting a key to the radio station, she actually mm-hmm. had to go get an ID. She had to go get the non-drivers, you know, the New York State non-drivers license ID. And she went mm-hmm. down to the Department of, of Motor Vehicles. And, but she didn't have all the right documentation because, you know, by now she was in her mid-70s and she didn't have whatever they wanted. So the, mm-hmm. one of the supervisors came out, took a look at Regin, and then wrote on the, on the form, personally known to me, Regin Adams, personally known to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how she got her non New York her non driver's license from New York State. So, so what kind of Lynn, what kind of shows did she do on WRPI? Well mainly she just read the she just read articles. And of course I like listening to her voice and I just like listening to her read articles and then um and that was great. And then uh, that's pretty much what she did at RPI. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes she would read Save the Pine Bush articles. That was cool. Um, right. But I would like to talk a little more about Save the Pine Bush. There's a couple other stories okay. I think people should know and things that I learned from her. So um, in the 1980s, uh, there's a place in the Pine Bush called Blueberry Hill, and it's uh, between Washington and Western Avenue, um, a little bit east of uh, Route 155. Save the Pine Bush initiated a lawsuit to stop development there. This lawsuit went on for eight years. 
Uh, it finally went to the U- United States Supreme Court, who refused to hear it. So therefore, Save the Pine Bushes win at the Court of Appeals stayed. So the developer obviously was not happy that we won. Of course not. And unbeknownst to us, we didn't know this. The state of New York bought the land. We did not know about it. No, I mean, because nobody told us anything. So uh, Reggie was home one day, and a reporter called and said, are you going to the press conference today where they're going to announce that New York State is buying this land? And Reggie was like, um, she didn't know about the press conference. Fortunately, a reporter called her. So Reggie called uh, one of our Pine Bush volunteers to get him to drive out to the the press conference. Now, the reporter didn't say where the press conference was. So the two of them, Pine Bush volunteer and Reginald are driving around, and they see a car that had a number one license plate. So they figure, well, why don't we follow that car? And it drove into the uh, into the Pine Bush. And, there, and that's where the press conference was. They had a dais, and they had chairs on the dais, and then they had uh, the, the um, Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner and Mayor Whalen was there and other dignitaries. So Regin does the right thing, right? So she just marches up and sits down on the dais because that's what you do, right? <laughs> she wasn't invited. She just sat down on the dais with all the other officials. And uh, they had their press conference, and she made remarks. Mayor Whalen would not look at her, did shake her hand, would not look at her. But that's what you do when, you know, clearly the only reason they were buying this land was because of our lawsuit. And to not acknowledge that was wrong. And Regin knew that she had to be there, she had to be seen, and that those people in power need to acknowledge that the whole reason everybody sitting there was because of Save the Pine Bushes litigation and all of Regin's work. And it was absolutely wonderful. And I learned from that that uh, incident because uh, many years later, uh, the land that um, on Rap Road that uh, was going to be built, actually, um, there was a proposal on Rap Road, this huge proposal, and we sued over it. And the state of New York, uh, was going to acquire the land. When we found this out, someone called me on the phone and said, well, there's going to be a press conference tomorrow. So at any rate, I think Reshin was in China because she didn't go to this this event, and I know she would have been there if she was in the country. I have a feeling she was in China or something. At any rate, a whole bunch of us Pine Bush volunteers go out, and indeed they had all the officials there. They had the governor, Governor Pataki. They had, oh, I don't know, all the assembly people and you know, uh, Mayor Jennings and all these people were there. And there was this huge dais. And they were announcing that they were going to do a land trade. This is kind of unusual where the state of New York was going to get this pine bush land and the state was going to give land that it owned north of the Harriman office campus to the developer. Okay, fine. So they have all the speeches. And in the end, I realized, well, I have to do, I was very nervous. I have to do, I have to follow Regin's, Regin's lead on this. And so I walked up to the dais, and I could hear one of the men said, oh, Lynn, no, and walked up to the microphone. They realized they couldn't throw this short, fat woman off the the dais, right? (laughs) So they all started walking away, 
And I began my speech, and at some point I said, and the whole reason we're here is because of our litigation. And Governor Pataki looked at me, and he's like, you sued? It was really hilarious. At any rate, and so we, following Regent's lead, I could make, I could tell people that the only reason we were here at this event was because of Save the Pine Bushes litigation. And it was really important. So I feel that that's do the kind of work that say the Pine Bush did, which is highly unpopular using litigation. And when you win, sometimes the government doesn't want to acknowledge that you won, but you have to make sure that people know that these beautiful, valuable pieces of land, that the government just didn't give it to us. We had to fight for it. And that's what we, we have to know. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really quite a, uh, I learned so much from Regent doing that. It, following her lead on that issue was so important to get the word out. And she was so good. She was so good at those kinds of things. And so learning from her on how do you, you know, explain to people, you know, that the pine bush just, you know, the pine bush preserve didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. It was because people fought for it. And that Regent mm-hmm. knew how to make sure that that would get into the press that that would make the that would be the quote in the press you know like one so, so many years ago say the pine bush was sued by a developer for 15 million dollars and a reporter asked her and he said mrs adams you've just been sued for 15 million dollars what assets does save the pine bush have and she says oh about 200 i'll never shop crossgates bumper stickers I mean, she really knew how to deal with the press. It was wonderful. She was wonderful. So, you know, we just have a few minutes left, Lynn. What is the most important, uh, the most important thing that people should take away and learn from Regent? Why, why is her life and what she did? for not only Albany, but for this country, for the world. Why is she so important? Well, I think Regent's so important because she knew what was right. She knew what, you know, who we need to to fight for justice for, what we need to fight for justice for, that, that we that we know and you have to just go and do what's right. You need to go what's do do what's right and what's just and you need to be kind to people and you need to care for people and you need to feed people and and that's what you do. You you help each other out. You you're kind to each other and you you do and but you fight for justice and you go vote because participating in our governmental process is so important to get justice for people and that we need to vote. So we need justice and we need to vote. So we and had, I think uh, that, now, you had planned, you along with her daughter friend, have planned a 90th birthday party for her. And that was such a nice event. And, you know, I remember sitting there, it was like, uh, I think I'm going to leave now. And then all of a sudden, William Kennedy walks in. And it was I had such a nice conversation. And 
I was asking him questions about, you know, the old days during the cloning administration. And it was just a great, great experience. And I I assume that Rich and, and William Kennedy were pretty pretty good friends, right? Um, actually I, I have to say I, I don't I don't know because I only like how do I put it, like Reg and I worked so intensely on Save the Pine Bush that we often didn't even get around to telling each other our personal lives. It seems kind of astonishing okay. at this point. But um okay. we worked so much on Save the Pine Bush that we didn't you know, we almost didn't have time to talk about more mundane things. We're always working on working on the causes and okay and the more I know about her the more I realize oh my goodness she did so much stuff and here I thought she was doing all this stuff to say the pine bush which she was but she had all these other interests and all these other causes so I am sorry I don't know about her relationship with William Kennedy mm-hmm. okay so Lynn uh we're at a Almost out of time, so you know, give yourself a little plug. Give a plug to save the time bush, and let's all remember version. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, if people want to know more, we're probably going to do a, a, a tell stories about. Vision Adams at our September Save the Pine Bush virtual lasagna dinner. It's virtual. You have to bring your own lasagna to your computer. <laughs> but um, go to savethepinebush.org to read more. We have an article about her on the website. Lynn, thank you for taking the time to be on Coffee Sun Albany. And thank you, thank you for sharing your memories of Vision Adams. Uh, you've been listening to Lynn Jackson. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.